to the MEC English Service Podcast. For more resources or information about our church, Mideast Evangelical Church, visit mec.church. Okay, so the scripture is Revelations 3, 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and in white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand in the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I will victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, ma'am. All right, guys. Um, did you, is, the vol, is the levels good and stuff? on the that thing yeah okay cool all right um so revelation chapter three is a really big jump from revelation chapter 13 right um so for those of you who are just joining us um we are going to be ending our series that we've been doing for the last seven weeks we've been kind of going through these lessons from the apocalypse this last book of the bible this mysterious how do we unpack this book of the bible type of thing and so we started um at the end um today by the way today's sermon is called vomit or dinner plans um and after what we read maybe it makes sense um but we started at the end um and kind of like i feel like our first three or four sermons in this series were very like happy Right, because it's about how the the trees of life will bring healing to the ethnicities and the nations of the world. How the river of life will be flowing, and God, what God intended for humanity, will be restored. And then we moved into how big this thing is going to be in the end. That even just the city um, that got that is envisioned here is is like over half the size of the United States. Um, and then we went into how it's all going to be brand new, and everything is going to be renewed and, and restored. I mean, then we talked about how all of this is given to us for free, right? That all you need to do to be able to eat um, of this tree or to be able to drink of the, the living water is to be thirsty, right? That's the only requirement. So God freely gives this to everybody. But then a couple weeks ago, it turned a little darker because then we realized that not everybody says yes. Not everybody says, I am thirsty. Not everybody says, I want the free water. And for them, God honors that decision, Right? For those who say, I do not want the free water, God says, I'm not going to force you to have it. Um, and so there's a place that you can go to be apart from it. There's a place that you can go to be apart from life. There's a place that you could go to be apart from that water. Um, and that place was not prepared for people. Um, it was initially designed for the ultimate enemy of humanity. And so 
Um, this is where we land. Um, and then we, I, we took like a pit stop last week right in the middle of the book um, when we went over the, the mark of the beast. And so this week when we end, I thought we would, since we're working backward, I was like, let's, let's get close to the beginning. And for those of you who don't know, the, the, the apocalypse of John starts with letters to seven different churches. And this is the last of the seven letters and how appropriate we are ending on our seventh installment of this series. Um, and in Revelation chapter 3, we get the church of Laodicea. Now, um, in order to talk meaningfully about the church of Laodicea, we need to talk about two wonderful types of water. Um, how many of you have ever been in a hot tub? Yes? Yes? Um, and uh, what's so good about hot tubs? I heard, this is what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, what's so good about hot tubs? Why do we like hot tubs? They're relaxing, right? There's something after like after a long day of at cross country practice, there's just something about the cool air outside, right? And feeling those warm jets allowing you to relax, right? Um, or I know that the like it's a common occurrence, right? When you're sitting down with people that you know and love or just in the evening by yourself, it, there's something soothing about having that hot cup of tea at night, right? There's something that's delicious and soothing about having that hot beverage either in the morning or at night. And so hot water is delightful, both for your body, for like its restorative healing purposes, and it's yummy, right? Especially if you put spices and stuff in it. And then on the other spectrum, like three weeks ago when it was 100-something degrees, um, praise the Lord that that's over, I, I hope, for a while. Um, but when it was crazy hot, you know what else is super refreshing? When you put ice water in your hydro flask in the morning, like if you're a cool kid with a hydro flask, or your thermo flask for my Costco people. Um, if you put ice water in in the morning, and it, once it hits 110 um, at 2 in the afternoon, and you open it and it's still ice water, Right? There's something that's so deeply refreshing and restorative about that nice ice-cold water. You guys with me? Um, and it turns out that Laodicea, historically, did not have access to either of those types of water for the following reasons. Um, they were, um, the, the city of Laodicea in antiquity is six miles away from um, Heropolis. And Heropolis was known for its hot springs. People would go to Heropolis um, for that same curative, um, re restorative, sitting in the hot springs type of feel. Even people do this today, right? They go to hot springs um, to experience some sort of like bodily healing. There's something about the minerals and the warmth, right? Um, and about 10 miles away was another city called Colossae. And in Colossae, they had cold water springs that um, presumably were fed by, um, by the cold mountain water. Um, and so there are two cities nearby with water sources. But guess what? Laodicea? No water source. But the Romans had a really good answer to this. They said, well, let's just pipe water in. And they built aqueducts. Those of you, any of you having um, world history flashbacks right now? Um, and they built the world's first aqueducts, and they were able to bring water into Laodicea. But guess what? When cold water travels 10 miles in the sun, what happens to that cold water? It's not cold right? It's lukewarm. Um, and how about when you get piping hot water out of a hot spring and then you send it six miles away through an aqueduct, what temperature is it? 
lukewarm, right? You have this water that is not hot and um, good for tea and wonderful for healing, and you have this water that is not delicious and tasty and refreshing anymore, but you have, like, you know when you put your water in a plastic bottle um, and then you leave it in the car? You know that feel? It's a tragedy, right? Um, and even, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but like sometimes if I'm like super, super thirsty, um, I'll still like, because I know that my body needs it, but it's just hard to drink, right? When it's, when it's the wrong temperature. And so um, what people did find though, is that lukewarm water, you know what it's really good for? Maybe some of you have experienced this. Um, it's good at assisting and inducing vomiting. Um, there is actually in the life of Aesop, uh, an ancient um, document uh, story, um, there is a story where the, an owner comes back and says, who ate my figs? Because owners get really mad about that. Um, and in, in life of Aesop two through three, he talks about who ate my figs. Um, and then one of the servants, in order to prove that he did not eat the figs, guess what he drinks to induce vomiting to show that there's no figs in his stomach? Lukewarm water, right? He drinks lukewarm water to be like, Bleh, look, figs. There aren't figs there. And so in the ancient mind, they understood lukewarm is real good for making you blit. Um, and that's about it. And so it shouldn't surprise us that, that God uses the language of that time so that people would understand, okay, this is what I'm trying to communicate to my people. You are not hot and refreshing um, and healing, and you are not cold and restorative and refreshing on a hot day. You are lukewarm, and guess what you're good for? You make me want to throw up. This is what you are good for, Laodicea. Now, um, when I was a young man, in, um, both in like youth group and in Christian school, I heard so many sermons on Laodicea, and always the emphasis was like this emotional, passionate thing, right? Are you hot? Are you on fire for God? We would use this terminology. Are you on fire for God? Um, and then we would read this and be like, God either wants you to be on fire for him or completely turned off to him, right? Either be like jumping for joy and worshiping with all of your heart or, um, or just like give up and don't care about the things of God at all. But like, don't be in the middle. Um, but if we think about the historical context, is this what the passage is teaching? Is this a thing about passion? Are the squirrels are dropping bombs back there? Oh, it was a crow, classic. Um, okay, but there is, uh, there, there's something about um, this text which the assumption would be, like I think when we're like, oh, you're on fire, we think of hot, and you're like, when we say someone's just cold, we think, oh, they're, they're a person who is like, turned off, um, or a person who, like, the type of person who crosses their shoulders and, like, stands like this and doesn't want to pay attention to you. Um, but if we understand the historical context, then people in Laodicea who would be receiving this message, reading this letter, they would get it. And in reference to their water, they would realize it's not necessarily that they are cold towards God or hot towards God, but rather, they're useless. Like, what are they good for? They are not hot and healing. They are not cold and refreshing. They're just good for making you throw up. They're kind of gross. Right? This text is not about making sure that you have crazy high emotional experiences as often as possible. And it's not about saying, well, if you can't do that, well, then you better be cold and turned off towards God. No, what this text is saying is 
if you were hot, you would bring healing and there would be wonderful things about you. We could drink tea with you. Um, if you were cold, you would be refreshing on those 110 degree days. But you're lukewarm. What are you good for? Anything? And this is the message that the angel of the Lord gives to Laodicea. I wish you were good for something. I wish you could be used for something. Um, now, um, what we're going to do is, um, just by way of comparison here, to help us kind of like unpack this idea, um, I, we're going to talk about Laodicea, but in order to like get our brains thinking in this mode, we need to talk about where we live um, in the United States of America. So with the person next to you, without help from Google, I want you to talk about what is it that we produce here in America? What do we produce in the United States of America? You know how like every country has like a thing that they make? Um, I want you to think of like the top three or four or five things that America produces and makes. Ready, go, talk. All right, guys, what is it that we produce in the United States of America? Let me get a couple of volunteers. What, what, what's one thing that we produce? Potatoes. We'd be cranking out the potatoes like crazy, for sure. What else? Corn. Corn and potatoes. Crops. Starch. Yeah, we are the masters of starch. Um, what else? Oranges. Good. Yeah. Okay, so we produce a lot of food. Um, that is definitely actually... Um, oh, did I hit the wrong button? I did. Um, that is actually number one. Um, we, f we produce food and beverage. Um, things to be consumed. That is like one of our number one producers. Like we feed a lot of the world. Um, what's another thing that we produce? Weapons, that is accurate. Um, uh, what else? Steel. Um, we're, we're not in the top in that world, but we do stuff with the steel. What are some things that are made out of steel? I'm looking at one right now. Cars. We make automobiles. And what do we call automobiles that go in the sky? <laughs> Aircraft, yeah. Um, so we actually, um, this, is, this is from 2018. I don't know if we turned things around, but in 2018, um, number one thing that we produce, food, beverage, and a feed, meaning for like food for animals too. Number two, crude oil, fuel, and petroleum products. Like we were our number one producers, um, not number one, but we're one of the top producers of this in the world. Civilian aircraft and engines. Um, we've got Boeing um, is cranking out airplanes still. Well, they were. Um, and then also we've got auto, auto parts, engines, and the automobiles. And then last um, is pharmaceuticals. These are the top five categories of things that we produce and put out there in America. And, and the last one is like an intangible thing. Media, right? Think about it. Um, so much of what the world consumes in media actually comes from, like, what, 10 miles down the road? Yeah? Um, from Hollywood, right? Hollywood is one of the chief exporters of America. We produce a ton of media, and not just, like, um, not just movies and TV shows, but then also, like, news media. And so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine um, thinking about these things that uh, America produces. And I want you to imagine like writing a letter on behalf of God to America. If someone was doing this and wanted to like really tie in things that like Americans like produce and do, here's why. Because in Laodicea, here are the things that they were famous for. First of all, 
Um, they were the uh, they were the capital city of the Cypriotic Conventions, which was um, a confederation of more than 25 towns in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Yeah, um, and so not only were they the capital city of this area, but they were. They were known for their pride. For example, in AD 60, in the year 60 AD, there was a big earthquake and it destroyed a lot of the cities in Asia Minor. Um, and when the Roman Empire said, hey, let's help rebuild these cities, Laodicea said, no, 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 we're good. We can handle it on our own. We have enough financial security. We have enough power. We have enough pride. We can take care of ourselves. No, thank you, Roman Empire. Um, it's just the type of place Laodicea was, and part of that pride came from their financial prowess. Um, they were a center for banking, and so they were actually a really wealthy city. In addition to that, um, they were mass producers of textiles, and one of the most famous textiles that they would produce was called black wool. Um, they were able to produce linens of black wool. And then last, um, partially be probably because of um, that curative water from Heropolis. Um, Laodicea was known um, as one of the Phrygian cities that created both hearing and vision salves, um, probably like a paste or something that they would put on eyes, hopefully to restore vision. So think about this. They're a prideful city that had tons of financial gain um, and had tons of financial assets. They produced clothing, particularly dark clothing, and they had medicine for eyes. Let's look at what God says to them. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Think about all of those adjectives that he uses to describe Laodicea. You are wretched, pitiful, Poor, blind, and naked. Every single one of those words aren't just like him. It's not just God being like, what are some mean words I can say to Laodicea? Ooh, I've got some. Um, but he chooses words that directly correlate, that directly match the things that they think they are awesome about. Right? And he says, you think you're so prideful um, and proud? Well, no, you're wretched and pitiful. Oh, you're wealthy? No, you're actually poor. Um, you think you have like the cure for vision. You are actually blind people and so much for your nice clothes because you're naked, right? He directly tears down the things that they have pride in and says, but I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can actually see. This is, a, this is God's mic drop moment. Uh, for Laodicea. He, he says exactly what they think they're so proud about. And he doesn't just say, and by the way, you're awful. But he says, okay, you think that you're all that, but you're not. But I counsel you, come to me, because I'm the one who actually has all these things for you. Um, I think that if we're using the, the, the same template, it might go something like this for America. If we're just using our chief exports, you say that you are the self-made leaders of the free world, but you are starved, lacking energy, sick, and immobile. I have food that can nourish your soul, the fuel to drive your actions toward goodness. Hop in the passenger seat, and I'll take you where you need to go, and I have the medicine your sick heart has been needing. Come to me and I'll give you some news worth sharing, right? This is like, it's like God um, intentionally chooses the things that we are like, 
that we have, have pride in. And he says, let's make sure that your pride is in the right place. Let's make sure that the things that you care about, um, that yes, those things are fine. Like, it's not like God was like, and therefore you should never wear the black wool of Laodicea. Or it's not like, oh, and make sure you don't use their eye paste. But he says, hey, I counsel you to turn to me first for all of those things. And so what, what I think that we're looking at here is, is God saying, hey, I'm trying to call you out on why you are lukewarm, why you are good for nothing for the sake of the kingdom of God, why you are not living lives that actually do anything for what God wants to do in the world. And it's because like, you're prideful and your trust is in the wrong place. And because of that, you invest all of your energy in things that kind of don't matter. And so if that's the case, um, one, um, it's a little mean, right? And I think that we value being nice a lot, but it turns out that sometimes you need to be harsh. And, and God kind of anticipates this. He's like, I just said a lot of mean things. I'm aware of that, guys. Um, and because I said a lot of mean things right now, let me just clarify for you, um, those whom I love, I rebuke. It's the people that I love that I rebuke. So be earnest and repent. So like... Straighten up and stop doing that thing. It's, it's kind of like if Seji wanted to take a fork and put it into the light socket, um, would it be loving or unloving of me to yell at her to get her to stop? That would be loving, correct? Especially because if I say, um, Seji, honey, would you please not put that thing in the um, light socket because you might give you ouchy times. Um, if I say that, um, for some reason, that tone of voice doesn't register in her brain. Like, she's just like, oh, something's going on back there. I'm not going to listen to it. However, if I say, Sajay, um, then she, like, will drop the fork and turn and look at me. Um, and it might be like, why are you so mean, Dad? I just wanted to put the fork in the light socket. Um, but no, those I love, I rebuke. So straighten up and don't do that thing, Right? And then he, he makes the turn and says, because e each of these um, letters, you'll notice if you read through them, some of the cities are doing super good, um, but each of them usually has an issue. And then at the end, he gives them a taste of hope. And he's like, okay, look, I'm being harsh to you because I love you. And here is the hope that I have for you. He says, I am at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person. We'll have dinner together. We'll enjoy each other's company. We'll share a meal, and it's going to be a delicious, wonderful time that we get to spend together. I'm at the door just waiting. But what this shows here is that he's waiting because the door's closed. He's knocking. Like, you don't knock at, at an open door that you're invited into. He's waiting because I think sometimes, like, this is one of the, the default images for Jesus knocking at the door, um, which, you know, Jesus totally looked like that. Um, but sometimes I think we don't treat Jesus like that. Um, but most of the time, I feel like we treat Jesus like this. Um, these are our elders from the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saint. And what do you think is the default response when a person looks on their ring um, or looks through the little people and sees one of these fellas knocking on the door? Everyone be quiet. Everyone be quiet. We're not, we're not home right now. Right? Or, I, uh, oh, hey, I, I'm, I'm super busy. Sorry, thanks. Um, yes, give me that pamphlet. Bye. Right? Sometimes I think um, Jesus is knocking at our door. And Jesus is saying, hey, I, I want to be involved in that group of friends. 
hey, I want to be involved in your workplace. Hey, I want to be involved in, um, in this aspect of your life that you pretend doesn't happen. Hey, I want to be involved um, in all of these aspects. And he's knocking, and we pretend like we're not home sometimes. Step one, um, step one to actually um, becoming useful human beings, right, is realizing that Jesus is there knocking, wanting to be invited in. And I, I love how he ends because this is, the end is like the beginning of this series, and it's also the end of the series is like the end of the book, which is also like the very beginning of the book called the Bible, which is in the beginning, God creates humanity. And when he puts humans in, the first command he gives them is, be, first, well, be fruitful and multiply. But then after be fruitful and multiply, he says, I want you to have dominion and I want you to rule over this place. And in the end, God's um, promise to those who are victorious, he says, those, to, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. This is not a new idea. Genesis chapter one, this idea started. I'm gonna make humans, and here's what I want from these humans. I want you to rule this place with me. And unfortunately, in Genesis chapter three, we decided we wanted to rule it on our own. But here, to the church of Laodicea, he says, you're invited to rule again, right? We can fix this whole thing, and you can be invited to sit on the throne with me that I can, put, I can restore humans, I can restore humanity with the tree of life, I can restore humanity with the, the living water so that you can live the kind of lives that make the kingdom of God a reality. The kind of lives where the king looks like he is ruling and he's ruling through you because you have let Jesus in. And so... We end here um, because not only is it really useful to know where the story ends. I mean, that's really good. It's really good to know where the story ends. However, um, we know where the story ends, which helps us know how to live now, which I feel like the Church of Laodicea is a really good, simple way to know how to live now. And um, two things you can do which we've already said, but I want to make sure that this sticks in your brain. There are two steps to being both, use, both useful and victorious, right? These are the two good things that God has for us. He, he's like, I want you to not be lukewarm, be hot or cold, be useful for something. Um, and I want you to be victorious, right? I want you to rule with me. Two steps. One, you got to let Jesus in. And these are in order. One, you got to let Jesus in. He's knocking, saying, hey, I want to be involved and integrated into every aspect of your life. And I want to help you rule. Um, I, I want you, I want, I want to rule through you, but like we need to get to know each other. We need to be near each other. You need to invite me into every aspect. And two, do something. If we just do stuff, but we don't let Jesus in, then we're just going to be busy like Laodicea. Right? We're going to make a lot of like, cool-looking shirts, um, and then we are going to maybe um, create like a, an eye salve, and we're going to be bankers, and we'll make tons of money. Um, but if we don't let Jesus in, then all of that activity is lukewarm. It's useless for the sake of the kingdom. But on the flip side, I know that some of us also are really good at letting Jesus in and being like, I want to make sure that I take my quiet time and I pray to God on the regular basis and I make sure that I feel really connected to God through worship songs and I do all of that. But then they don't do anything. 
right? It's all about just absorbing, and it's not about actually changing the world and doing something in this world. And what the book of Revelation can teach us is that God wants to do stuff with us and through us, right? And this end that we look forward to where the healing of the nations happens and where it's big and expansive and it's beautiful, God invites us to a place where we can make, start making that happen here and now so that when we get there and then, we're like, I love this stuff because I've been doing this my whole life. Right? I love this exploration. I love the beauty. I love the healing. And I've been practicing for this for the last 80 years of my life um, to be ready for when we get to do this for eternity. So let Jesus in, right? Let him be in there with you in every facet of your life. And then just do something with Jesus with you because that's going to be transformative. That's going to change the world. So let's take a, a moment just to pray. Um, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes as we pray together. Um, the first thing I want to do um, is I just want you to check yourself um, and talk to God and say, hey, God, um, have I let you in? Jesus has been knocking at the door of every human's heart. And just take a, take a check for yourself. Have you let Jesus in? And not just let him in in the sense that you prayed a prayer at some point, but have you let him in um, to every aspect of your life? Are there dark corners of your life? Are there facets or compartments of your life where you have not invited him? And if that's the case, just take a moment right now um, to invite him into those spaces. God, I haven't let you into my schoolwork. God, I haven't let you into this group of friends. I haven't let you into my relationship with my parents. I haven't let you into think through each of those facets. And invite Jesus in. And then the next thing is if you have invited Jesus into every facet, into every corner, every subsection, every subdivision, every compartment, then ask the Holy Spirit, God, what is it that you want me to do? We're together, me and you, and I want to do the things that you want to do. What is it that you want me to do for your kingdom? And ask the Spirit right now just to, to speak that into your mind. Like some, some passion, some idea, something that makes you think, yes, that would be really good to do. So Lord Jesus, we invite you to lead us. We invite you to lead us away from lukewarmness into being useful people that bring healing and restoration and refreshment to the world because we are with you and we are doing things. And so God, I pray for the courage, the creativity, and the strength to follow through, um, that we would be the type of people that live like that holy city is here now. We'd be the type of people that 
um, embody and live out the healing of the nations and the beauty and the restoration that you have in store for the future. So help us with that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.